so I've been talking to you, really, I've been talking to you now for a number of weeks. Every time I'm on, I've been building and building a picture because uh, I, I believe there is a, if you like, there is a biblical theological undergirding to everything we're going after. I, I, as elders, we would not have led you where we're going with our vision and our values if we didn't believe it was deeply rooted in the revelation of Scripture. So and what I've been showing you is the, 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 the gazunda stuff, biblically, uh, the biblical revelation. And, and I've spent time working through the, the issue of covenant in the Bible to show you that the revelation of God has been, and in Scripture is a progressive revelation, because at each covenant we see something different. And so radical is that change sometimes that you can wonder if we're still talking about the same God. But the point that God is the same because he's a covenant-keeping God. He doesn't change, but what he's doing is showing us more and more of himself and in different ways. And where we landed was that Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God, the full and final revelation of God. In fact, Jesus is God. Most Christians would tell you that, but lots of us do not fully get what that really means in its implication. Everything you read about Jesus is showing you the Father, over 100 times in the book of John, is Jesus, referred, Jesus refers to God as our Father. Only six times in the whole Old Testament, which is the really thick bit of the book, is God mentioned as Father. Jesus was a radical uh, representation. He, he was the ultimate revelation. He was what everything was building to. So what he shows us about the heart of the Father, about healing, we see it in Jesus. Other things are smaller hills. Jesus is Mount Everest. You look at everything else from him and through him and not from other things toward him. And, and that leaves us in a place of to get to that point, we had to do some stuff about the incarnation. That God, and God became man. God was 100% God and 100% man. So Jesus came and walked the earth as, as both. So he was utterly and thoroughly divine. He represented the Father fully. And this was something that the early uh, writers struggled with. And then through revelation, the Holy Spirit wrote these incredible things in the New Testament about, about Jesus being the exact representation of God, the imprinted nature of God. He carried in a human body and not a special human body, not a souped up human body. It wasn't like a, it wasn't fuel injected. It wasn't different to yours. It's really important to know Jesus' body with no special features. He was incarnated in fallen humanity and walked as God and showed God amongst us in a normal human body. He fully displayed God through a human, through a man. That is huge. And we got there. We, we've said it in different ways over these weeks. We've said that, and that's really important. Jesus is perfect theology, and he represents the incarnate God. God and man joined, and he joined them, and they have never been separated. So we started to look at our union with him. And Paul, Paul one of my favorite verses is this. On this subject is Galatians 2.20. It says, I have been 
crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That is union. I love, I love the, the, uh, the Passion Translation. It says, my old identity was nailed to the cross with him. Whoever you were, whatever you felt defined you, whatever your upbringing said to you, is not the full definition of you. In fact, that died with Jesus. You are, in the same way that Jesus' body was in union with God, your life is in union with him. When he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. Because he lives, you live. You have a new identity. You have a new nature. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But who lives in me? Three people. Come on, who lives in you? It's, it, it's clear teaching of Scripture that Christ is alive in you. And he is alive in you because 2,000 years ago he was alive in a human body. And he took you to a cross. And he took you, as it were, to hell. And he took you to heaven with him. And you need to understand covenant to understand that. You need to follow the journey that we've been on to get the incarnation that now includes you. We've said it many times, but maybe this gives you a little bit more uh, uh, roots and understanding of why this is true. Jesus is a model of us, not a model for us. I have been crucified with Christ. That old life is dead. The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God because he's alive in me. He was a model of what I now am. And he made what I now am possible. Do you follow? Okay, this is, this is all the introduction and recap I, I can give you. Because where, where I'm landing is this is a new covenant. This is a radical new covenant. It's not even close to like the ones that came before. Again, the New Testament writers say things like the old covenant is obsolete. It's fading away. This is a superior covenant built on better promises. This is not like, there's some, there's some pointers and there's some shadows, but this is radical. And, and in any covenant, they're, they're accompanying it are signs and celebrations. There are signs and celebrations. So when God made a covenant with Noah that he would no longer flood the earth, he put a rainbow in the sky, and thank God it's still there. Every time it rains and the sun comes out, and we get a lot of them in Scotland. Because it's rainy and sunny. Isn't it a great place? The covenant with Abraham and that continued on into with Moses meant that to show that you are part of the people of God and you're in that covenant, all the males at eight days old, they were circumcised. They had their foreskin cut off. Um, that was the symbol of a covenant with Almighty God. And then they had celebrations, they had meals, and the, the Passover meal is probably the, the pinnacle of those meals, which celebrated the exodus out 
of Egypt where all the homes of all the, all the Israelites that put the blood of the lamb on their door and ate this meal in their houses were passed over by the destruction and the curse that came over the rest of Egypt. And they walked out living and free. And they celebrated it in a meal. And they celebrated that meal and it had certain elements in it and, and it became structured and routinized in Israel's history and uh, it consisted of lamb, it consisted of unleavened bread, it consisted of herbs and it consisted of wine four times, actually four cups of wine through the celebration of the Passover feast. So here's Jesus, you know you've all seen the famous painting of Jesus with the twelve apostles and the, at the, at the, 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 the final supper, the last supper painting, you know that? Okay, well, that is, they're all lying down on couches. That's what they were doing. He organized spiritually, supernaturally, to have an evening to celebrate Passover. And it all starts to kick off. So you've got Judas in the room. You've got the other guys in the room. And they are going through the Passover process. So by the time they get to the third cup of wine that goes around the table, they've eaten the lamb, and it's called the cup of thanksgiving, probably because by this point, you've got a full tummy. And at this moment, Jesus takes the cup, and he takes the bread, and he says, this is my body broken for you, and this is my blood spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Wow. And he inaugurated, he declared what was about to happen to his body and his blood just probably hours before it actually happened. And in that, in that, that moment, you have it all kicking off. Judas decides it's time to He doesn't join in that covenant moment with the others. He's already left. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So he inaugurated the celebration meal of the new covenant. This is the new covenant meal because it represents everything about the new covenant. But you have to understand all the incarnational stuff and all, all the stuff we've talked about to really get behind what is going on when you take a piece of bread and drink that wine. Just looks like what you got from Tesco local. Exactly. That was the point. Jesus took two things they did every day and made it powerful. So, but just quickly, where and how did they do this? What did the early church do? And then we've got to quickly get into some more about this. The early church <clears throat> did two things. They broke bread house to house. They had fellowship home to home. So it's not meant, it was never meant to be a religious thing that only religious people do in special places. The roots of this are house to house breaking of bread. And then, then they, as, as the churches grew, they started to do it together. So Jude 12 talks about love, love feasts. And uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 20, the Passion Translation says, when all, all of your house churches gather together as one church family, which is kind of what we do here. We're all together. And so... But theirs was a love feast. The, the problem they had in Corinth is that people were getting drunk, people were going starving, there was going hungry. There was, it was a big meal in which they broke bread and did, did the thing that Jesus did. So Jesus did the thing in a meal and they continued to do it as part of a meal rather than something 
separate, which is what it's become traditionally. Okay? There was no, there's no sort of, you must do this every week, or do, but actually do it often, do it regularly. Breaking bread was part of a love feast. Where, you know, it wasn't good that they were getting drunk, but it was possible for that to happen. Now, because... <laughs> doesn't sound like church does it but it was that was that was them gathering now because of time I am not going to be able to read all the scriptures I need to read but I'm going to if, if you want to get this it's really important that you read it so I would encourage you to put on your phone or in your notes 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14 down to 22 and 1 Corinthians 11, which is the passage we read the most about communion, or the Lord's table, which is verse 17. That's quite a long chunk there. To 32, which is why we don't have time to read it. But I'm going to teach from those two passages and refer to them. Is that okay? Okay, you love your Bibles, don't you? You got them on phones and actual paper which is something nice I got a new bible this week there's something nice not this one another one I got another one and it's paper it's just great it's big fat kind of full of notes and interesting stuff I do like a new bible I like reading it as well as just kind of feeling the word all right are we happy okay I wish more people were but let's keep going I'm sorry, I'm, t- I'm in that sort of teasing you mood. You are all looking incredibly handsome and happy this morning. Thank you for being here. You do not have to respond to me, but I like it when you do. Thanks. So very quickly, that's where and how it's celebrated in the New Testament. And, and I've already done this, but we need to understand covenant incarnation and our union and inclusion with Christ if we're going to understand what the heck we're doing when we get hold of those bits of bread and wine. Yeah? So every time, and this is, what I've done here is pull together these verses. Every time we take the bread and the wine, there's, there's basically there's four things we're doing. Well, no, there's three. We'll stick with three. I feel like Anthony did a talk a while back. He said, I've actually got just three points but inside of them there is five other points I'm like that's 15 points well this is a bit like that (laughs) the three things we're doing we're celebrating and giving thanks we're declaring something and we're reminding ourselves of something and then the declaration and the reminding we're actually participating I'm just going to that's why I'm like is it three or is it four let's go for three with a subsection There's a participation. There's a co-participation happening by faith. So uh, in our household, when we uh, pretty much famous for this now, family meals, uh, when we all get together, and and this is something that Teresa has pioneered, is is the sharing of a toast. And, and there are multiple toasts because there is much to be celebrated in our family. Andy's laughing, he's my son-in-law and he's been there. And, and people who've been around us have caught on to the toasting. Other people who know us, they're nodding their heads. So, so what happens in the toast is 
everybody gets their drink and, some, and we'll say, well, what are we going to toast today? Well, let's, let's celebrate we had two new grandchildren. Yeah, two new, to the two new grandchildren. Yay. And maybe we'll just say, thank you, Jesus. Maybe we'll just clink glasses and go, woo and drink it back. And there was, what else can we toast? And this goes on through the whole meal. Are we going to toast? Yeah, Jess, Jess, you just got a new job. That's fantastic. You've just got a new contract. Yay. Yay, Jessica got a new contract. Clink, clink, clink. What are we doing? We're giving thanks. We're celebrating. That's what's going on here. So the... the in 1 Corinthians 10, if you read there, it talks about the cup of blessing, or depends on the translation, the cup of thanksgiving. It, it's that thing. What I just described is, woohoo, thank you, Jesus, you blessed us. Chink, cheers. It isn't meant to be, oh dear, can you imagine him on the cross? Well, don't try because he isn't there. He hasn't been there for over 2,000 years. Why is it that part of Christianity thinks it's got to screw its eyes up and go, imagine the Jesus on the cross. He's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. It's not about, this is not a memorial service to a dead Jesus. It's not the Christian equivalent to what we did last week, which is Armistice Day, yeah? Where it's rightly that we honor the sacrifice of the fallen, which we did, I think, really well last week. Isn't that amazing? This fallen didn't stay fallen. This is a resurrection celebration, not a death march. It's a cup of thanksgiving. It's a cup of blessing. Ugh. That was a good point. Number two, so we're celebrating. It's a simple point, isn't it? We're, we're, but let it land. We're celebrating because, because it's, historically, it's not become a celebration. It's become something more akin to a memorial, and that is not what Jesus intended. And you'll see more of that as we unpack some more of this. So it's also a declaration of something powerful. We were co... The first thing is... It talks about in the 1 Corinthians 10 passage that we, that we are co-participators in his blood. Ooh. Co-participators in his blood and co-participators, co-partakers in his body. What does that mean? It means you were crucified with Christ. You already died. And his death was your death. And as you break bread, you're remembering that reality and you're deepening your encounter with that reality. Crusty Cobb from Tesco. Okay, this doesn't become Jesus. But what it does is remind us that we are united with him and when he died, when he was broken, so were we. It's our co-participation in the body and blood of Jesus. 
We are celebrating his death and ours. You should be happy about that. Your old life, all the crap, it's gone. He killed it. He took it to a cross and he nailed it. He took our sin and then made us to be righteous. That's what we're celebrating, the exchange that happened at the cross. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might be the righteousness of God. Thank you, Jesus, for that, because at that moment, I became righteous. Give me crumbs all around the pulpit today. <laughs> I say our co-participation is body and blood, and by faith... As we exercise faith in this activity, we are growing in our enjoyment of the reality that has already taken place. He's already died and you died with him. He's already given us new life. And we are participating in that at a deeper level. So he's not making it real. It's enjoying the reality at a deeper level. Do you see the difference? Doing it doesn't make it real, but doing it reminds you it's real and deepens your experience of the reality. Doing it doesn't make it real, it's already real. It reminds you of who you are and deepens your experience of the reality of who he is and what he's doing in you already. So by faith we grow in our enjoyment of our union. We are nourished as we participate in this already established reality. We are, we are plugging into the life that, at a greater level, the life that has brought us alive. I'm getting excited. I'm, I'm, I'm salivating not because I'm hungry, because I want to get into this yeah. with you. Are you, you of? I mean, we'll make it work, won't we? We'll crack open the bottles and we'll get the bread going, because we are celebrating a death, and we're so glad that old life was dead. Are we not glad? About, are you glad about? I'm glad mine's gone. I mean, I, I, every now and again it creeps back up on me, but it's good to remember it died with him, and that he died for me. Huh. And the, <laughs> so we're still on number two. We're declaring something powerful. We're declaring that we are one loaf. That's what it says. This is not an individualistic religion. This is not my faith. Beloved, we're one loaf. <laughs> See this bit on the corner, that's probably me. That bit over there, it's probably you. I think I'll munch down on some of you as well. How about that? <laughs> it's called one loaf Christianity. That's why we do it together. You go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And the, we're also, the obvious thing which we tend to emphasize is every time we do it, we're retelling the story of his death. We're declaring it. But implicit in that is we're retelling the story of his incarnation, his resurrection. <sighs> Got to skip that bit, do that another time. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's where we got a bit skewiff. Because he said, do it in remembrance of me because you're declaring my death till I come. It didn't say, do it in remembrance of my death. Try that over here. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, 
because you're proclaiming my death until I come. Do this in remembrance of me, not my death. We're doing it to remember him in his fullness, not just the killing part. We're doing it to remember him, the good father, the the, the resurrection, the ascension, the incarnation, the victory over sin, Satan, death that happened on the cross, the victory, the end of the law, that there may be righteous for all who believe. We're celebrating freedom in Christ. We're celebrating resurrection life. We're celebrating everything he did. We're celebrating every miracle that he did and continues to do. We're remembering him, who he really is, not who we maybe shrunk him to be. And then we keep doing it because it declares his death until he comes. The one who was dead is alive and he's coming back. Do you see? It's not a memorial. It's a celebration. Okay, we, we have to deal with this because it's in the text. and we, we, There are warnings attached to this. And you, need, you could say, well, well, what about the good father? Well, the, a good father has good boundaries. Let's put it this way. I'm a dad and I'm a granddad. And if you don't have good boundaries in your family, you're not a good dad. You're going to end up people can get hurt, damaged, sick. Okay? So the good dad in heaven gives us this whole thing. And then he says, this is a very special moment. This is a powerful moment. This is making something that's ordinary, supernatural. And at this point, just be careful. Because the people who are not careful end up weak and sick. And actually, some of you are even dying because you've approached this moment the wrong way. That's what it says in the text. You can read it. Don't argue with me. Argue with the Bible. It says that some of you are sick, some of you are weak, and some of you are dying because you've partaken of this table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And an unworthy manner is defined as not discerning the Lord's body. Oh, Jesus, help. This is probably the most tricky bit, and I have the least time to do it. But we have to do it, otherwise we're not done, if you see what I mean. So discerning the Lord's body, and I've, I, you know, I've been studying my Bible for years, and there's two camps, okay? Discerning the Lord's body, what does that mean? The one camp is, we're the loaf. We're all the loaf. Yeah, you're the crust, I'm the bit in the middle. We're all one loaf. That's the Lord's body. Yeah, we are the body of Christ. You've got to discern that we are the body of Christ. That's one way of interpreting the Lord's body. The other way of interpreting the Lord's body is you've got to discern the Lord, the Lord's body. Remember what he really did, who he really is, because that's another way of legitimately... Whenever I come to these things, I always think it must be both and. If the Holy Spirit didn't inspire... Uh, inspired it that both the context and the meaning can mean two things it probably means two things rather than we form a new denomination around one thing and another denomination around the other thing are you happy so first of all discern the lord's body here's a here's a quick quote from bill johnson someone asked him how do you discipline yourself to never speak negatively of other people even people who are sometimes a pain Bill, with tears running down his cheeks, said, I fear Jesus in them. Notes, I fear Jesus in them, that I would speak badly about someone made in the image of God. 
that is so valued by God and that Jesus died for. And that I would portray them as something less valuable than that. I fear how God would deal with a person who would betray the people made in his image. That's discerning the body. The context for 1 Corinthians is both chapter 10, well, the whole book is division. Chapter 10 is grumbling and complaining. So you want a quick, quick hit list on what is not discerning the Lord's body, which coming inappropriately to the Lord's table can then cause there to be sickness and weakness and even death because we violate something if we don't discern his body in this way, if we don't have that attitude towards the rest of the body of Christ. So here's some things. Jeopardizing the Lord's body is a serious matter in the New Testament and includes divisive attitudes and actions, gathering people to your corner and your view as opposed to the direction of the whole covenant community you are in. Betrayal, an air of friendliness and support because Judas kissed Jesus, but internally holding malice. Grumbling and complaining is seriously warned against in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 10. Grumbling and complaining, we think that's having our legitimate say in our culture. Grumbling and complaining is bad news for your spirit and your relationship with Jesus. Uh, indifference to the body, a kind of laissez-faire, well, well, who cares about the body of Christ, is also not discerning the body of Christ. Gossip, bitterness, and unforgiveness. How about that? Done. So if, you, if you're living in a lot of that, a lot of time, do not do this until that is sorted out inside you because you're going to eat and drink judgment on yourself. I mean, that's not an amen, glory to God, hallelujah, but it's in the text, it's a warning, be warned. If you're grumbling, complaining, bitter, indifferent towards the body of Christ, being divisive in your behavior, do not do this until those actions and attitudes are resolved inside you. This is why we are about a culture of honor. It creates health for everybody. Here's a theological, powerful, persuasive reason to keep our honor on. I have no more time to develop that. The second thing is failure to discern and connect with the incredible blessing of Jesus. The body of Christ. It's not just the dead body. All right? Remember, it doesn't just say failure to discern the dead body. It says failure to discern the body of Christ. What we're doing is, if we don't, if we don't believe and connect to the full-orbed, incredibly rich nature of what Jesus did for us, and we don't honor and celebrate that, we are in danger of falling into sickness and weakness. Because in what he did, there is healing, there is resurrection, there is life, there is wisdom, there is... There is provision in the nature of Christ. He is everything for us and everything that we need is in him. Because we really need that because we're dead now. And one of our problems is when we don't believe that he is the richness and the fullness and everything we need. Is we can tend to have a little resurrection of our old life because we know how that works. But we need to honor the body of Christ. What Jesus did and all that he did. And that will keep us healthy, wealthy, and wise. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus, that did it. So can we have the band back up, please? I want to invite you to celebrate with me 
the death, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us to celebrate his victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the law, his victory over the devil. I want to celebrate that my old life died with him and I have a new one with him. I want to celebrate by breaking bread and taking these elements and having a great time remembering him and celebrating the mighty thing that happened at the cross. Come on, church. Come on, let's celebrate Jesus and let's celebrate one another. If you need a moment just to adjust a few attitudes that I may have landed on in the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, just do that before you get a gob full of this stuff, all right? Because I want you to walk out of here healthy, not sick. I believe healing is going to happen in some people's hearts and minds and bodies this morning as they just kind of tune back in to the Lord Jesus, to his body, the church, and the body that he is, that he's done for us. Life is returning to some of you right now because inside of you, you're changing your attitude because you realize it's getting you in trouble and you didn't realize that before.